On today's episode, I talk with Dr. Elsa Devian. Dr. Devian is a lecturer in U.S. history at Northumbria University. Her research lies at the intersection of urban history, environmental history, and the history of gender, body, and sexuality with a focus on the 20th century. She is particularly interested in the history of America's coastlines from the 19th century beach bathing boom to today's climate crisis. Her first book, The Sand Rush, an environmental history of the Los Angeles beaches, won the 2021 Willie Paul Adams Award for best book on American history published in a language other than English. The book looks at the beach modernization campaign that transformed Los Angeles into one of the world's greatest coastal cities, showing how the city maintained shores for seaside leisure and the triumph of modern bodies. On this episode, Dr. Devian and I talk about the history of Los Angeles beaches and how environmental histories like this can help us contextualize current environmental crises like the coastal erosion that is currently at issue in LA's coastline. So hi, Elsa. Welcome. Um, thank you for being with me uh, here with me today. Um, so you are an environmental historian or you work in history and look at Los Angeles beaches. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about this field that you work in and how would you describe your own work within that field? Yes, so indeed, I'm an environmental historian. And um, what can I say about environmental history? Well, it's a it's a relatively um, recent subfield in history. It uh, emerged in the 1970s as the modern as the modern environmentalist movement was gathering steam. And what's um, really unique about environmental history? Well, first of all, it's the his, it's the, the study of the relationships between uh, humans and the rest of nature. And it really places, it's, it's very much, it takes into account uh, the, the knowledge that we, that we get from ecology, but it really places humans at the center. And yet the, the, one of the major insights of, if the major insight really of environmental history is the idea that uh, there is uh, nature as agency, that humans don't completely control nature, and I've never, and actually they are part of nature. So, so the idea of control is just completely absurd. It just doesn't work. And that we have to recognize this agency and, and, and look at how it has uh, um, played out over uh, time and how, it, how, how relationships between humans and nature yeah, have been reciprocal and, and, and yes. So that's, that's what I do, environmental history. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a historian, I look at archives. That's the mythology methodology that we use as historians. So you might be wondering uh, what kind of archives there are to to write a history of beaches, <laughs> and you might be wondering if there are any archives, you know, uh, because who writes about beaches? But but actually, there are a lot of archives available for for people interested in the history of beaches because. You have anything from engineers' reports about erosion from uh, a long time ago to uh, uh, you can work on oral interviews, you can work on uh, lyrics, uh, TV shows, 
films, etc. There, there's so many ways you can learn about the past of beaches. And so well, that's what I love about being, quote unquote, a beach historian, yeah. is that one day I can be reading uh, a report from a 1950s engineer about erosion, and the day after I am watching a silly movie from the <laughs> 60s about surfers. So that's what I like about being a historian of beaches. Yeah, that's very cool. And so you work primarily on like Los Angeles beaches, some California beaches. Um, so yeah, what archives have you kind of run across in terms of these areas and their beaches? So one type of archives of really the, uh, that have been really essential for my work is the um, whatever I could find from the association of uh, beach, uh, the, the beach preservation associations that mm. were formed in the 1930s, 40s and 50s that were very active around that time. And so whatever I could find from these associations. So mostly what I found was um, papers from uh, very important engineers at that time, such as Maura P. O'Brien, who was an engineer at Berkeley who uh, revolutionized the field of coastal engineering, which at the time didn't, uh, in the 30s didn't exist. It really started becoming its own field in the 50s. So anything having to do with coastal construction involving engineering. Um, so I found hidden in Maura P. O'Brien's archives and other engineers' archives, wonderful uh, reports, um, minutes of conferences, the newsletters, they started uh, uh, printing in the 30s. And basically my book is about how in, in the 30s, these people, so mostly, like I said, engineers, but also businessmen uh, who often had uh, in stakes in tourism, um, local leaders, um, got together and formed what I call a beach lobby, the LA beach mm. lobby, as I called it, that uh, saw the state of the beaches in the thirties as being really uh, sadly, extremely de deteriorated. They were polluted, they were crowded, they were um, eroded, badly, badly mm. eroded. And so they, they set on to reinvent the beach and save the beach, the beaches from disaster. And so they, they, they formed these, uh, associations that lobbied the state for money uh, to acquire more beaches for the public and to uh, redevelop the beaches and enlarge them through artificial beach nourishment. And uh, they gave us the beaches that we have today in LA, the amazing, vast, relatively clean beaches we have today in LA. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's interesting to think about these spaces that, you know, you drive by or look at and think about this long history that kind of created that space that we don't always think about. So I'm also curious, how did you, how did you come to the California coastline, to the California beaches? What, what about those beaches brought you there? Because of course, as an environmental historian, you can work on beaches all around the world if you wanted to. So what is it about those California beaches that you found so interesting? Uh, well, it, it, I, I am from Paris, which mm -hmm. admittedly is quite far from the coast. Um, but we do have beaches actually in Paris. Every mm -hmm. year uh, we have Paris Beach that, you know, these fake beaches that come out uh, out of nowhere, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, 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 the municipality trucks a huge amount of sand and dumps it along the Seine River. Uh, so 
people make fun of these beaches, but what I like to say, something I like to say is that actually most beaches these days are about as artificial as those fake urban beaches that you see in Paris every year and in other places as well. And that's, that's, that's a big insight of, of the book uh, I wrote that, you know, the LA beaches, like most beaches in the world today, are essentially uh, hybrid uh, form of nature. Mm-hmm. They're half artificial, half natural. Uh, what brought me to to California, gosh, that's a long story, but I think mostly it's curiosity at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to work on something that's not necessarily uh, close to you initially. But what, what I do remember uh, is coming to LA as a visiting student uh, uh, 10 years ago and being really struck as I arrived in Santa Monica. If you know Santa Monica, you have those wonderful cliffs uh, you know, and the, this this view over the, the Pacific and the, and the and the vast beach that 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 is down the cliffs. And there, what do you see? A freeway, <laughs> huge parking lots, uh, apartment buildings, houses. I mean, what the hell? I thought, like, I mean, in, in France, what you're used to, uh, at least on the Atlantic side of the of the of the country, is you know, relatively preserved beaches from, from all that construction. So I was really shocked and fascinated by the fact that people at some point in the past had thought, oh yeah, let's go and build a parking lot on the beach. That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> so that's the initial sort of, um, yeah, the initial questions that, that started germinated, germinating at that point it was like, how did people think at one point it was a good idea to do that? And why did they build all these freeways and parking lots, et cetera, on the beaches? And then later on, I ended up at the Santa Monica Public Library. That's where I found uh, pictures of, be- of, the- of those same beaches, Santa Monica, et cetera, from the late 19th century. And there you can see clearly that the beaches were much more narrow. You could have <laughs> never built a parking lot on those beaches back then. And so that's where really the big question of my of my book started. Like, what happened? How did we go from these narrow beaches to the vast sandy beaches that we have today? Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's it reminds me of that kind of intersection you see in a lot of environmental history between these kind of like environmental engineering projects and then also how people have associated with that place or you know, come to know that place. So I'm wondering if there's a specific approach to these LA beaches that you take or to these coastlines. Are you interested in, you know, the actual engineering of the beach, the widening of the beaches you're talking about, or also kind of the culture that uh, springs up around that? I'm actually interested in all of that. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what's so special about environmental history. But for quite a long time, actually, environmental history, at least in the 1980s, 1990s, was considered a field that looked too much at, uh, to put it kind of, you know, in a nutshell, uh, uh, white men, you know, Mm. those John Moore, uh, those those people who had, you know, Frederick Law Olmsted, the the, the founders of the parks, etc., And so for a long time, there was this idea that uh, all humanity was kind of, um, and you know, wrapped up into the same uh, <laughs> box, mm-hmm. if you want. And, and there was not really an interest in the variety of experiences that humans had had in nature along the lines of, you know, gender, race, class, et cetera. So for a long time, the environmental history was 
yeah, a little bit guilty of ignoring the variety of experiences that humans have had in nature. But I think this is not true anymore, and at least it's not been true for the past 20 years. And so the approach I take is very much inspired also by social history and looking mm -hmm. at how um, Angelinos and their racial, ethnic, gender, class, age diversity have encountered uh, the beaches, have used the beaches. So I look at the history, for instance, of uh, segregation on the beaches. Mm -hmm. uh, I look uh, also at the history, for instance, of a very interesting part of the, of the beach in LA called uh, Ocean Park, mm -hmm. which used to be um, a, a very interesting place in the 40s uh, up until the mid 50s, where you had the gay beach right next to the African American beach, right next to Muscle Beach, mm -hmm. which was this interesting sort of outdoor gym where People, you know, blurred a little bit the gender expectations of the days. And you also had this very popular working class um, uh, sort of uh, fair, uh, you know, uh, appear with all these like old, old school type of games and, and stuff like that. And all this was sort of uh, <clears throat> wiped down in just a few years. Like, um, uh, yeah, essentially all these groups that had alternative uses of the beaches were sort of chased off the sand by the the, the, the city essentially and, and the, the business elite. So I look at this, but also look at the ecology and the engineers because these stories go together. What I mm -hmm. show is that at the same time as the city was concocting those plans to get rid of those alternative uses of the beach, it was also part of a modernization, uh, uh, was also part of that modernization of the beach that came with artificial beach nourishment, mm -hmm. acquisition of beaches for the public. So that vision that the LA beach lobby had for the future was both wonderful, you know, vast, public, clean beaches. And at the same time, they came with a certain kind of vision of the type of public they wanted to see on the beach, which mm -hmm. was mostly the white, middle-class nuclear family mm -hmm. and so that's that's where that vision for LA's beaches is a bit sort of yeah there's a tension there because it's both wonderful what they accomplished but it came with a very narrow definition of the public yeah that's that's really interesting also just in terms of the podcast theme of erosion which is you know, you're talking about this move toward development and beach nourishment and extension of the beaches. And I'm wondering if you see coastal erosion in any of this, like this historical moment, I guess, of development in terms of LA beaches. Yeah, and I, maybe I should have started with that really, because originally uh, the these operations of uh, artificial nourishment that I'm talking about, they start off because there is so much erosion oh, wow. created by humans. So originally in the, in the 30s in uh, the LA area, you have people building all kinds of things, cities, uh, private owners, uh, the county, everybody's building all kinds of things on the beaches. They're building piers, they're building groins to keep the sand, um, you know, to prevent the sand from, from going down, um, uh, following it, the, the natural currents. They're building, um, yeah, like the port facilities, uh, mm -hmm. beach clubs, uh, all kinds of things. And this is this this is creating a chaotic situation where some beaches are being rubbed off uh, of sand because 
the piers that's been constructing, the, the breakwater that's been constructed uh, is preventing the natural flow of sand uh, from replenishing uh, the beaches. So there's, there's this chaotic situation at the time. And in particular, there's a chaotic situation around breakwaters mm. uh, that are being built in order to create these uh, yacht harbor. Never know if I pronounce it well, because, uh, as you can, as people can tell, I'm not American, <laughs> uh, French. Yacht, yacht harbor, never know exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so uh, they 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 mess up completely. They they build one in Santa Barbara, and it almost completely destroyed the beach there. Wow! And then they do the same three years later in 1934 in Santa Monica. So there used wow. to be a harbor in Santa Monica. A few people know this because yeah. there is no har harbor uh, today. And then they do the same at Redondo Beach. Same problem again. The breakwater. So essentially, like you know, big big piles of stone that are dropped in the in the ocean to prevent <laughs> the waves from uh to, to from rocking the boats and so that the boat can moor uh those uh breakwaters prevent the sands from going down it's, it's mostly a a southeast i think <laughs> littoral drift and so they create erosion um down south and they create a salient of sands uh, in Santa Monica, for instance, so an accumulation <laughs> of sand, in other words, in the harbor. The sand, because the waves are being, um, are not happening, there, there, there's no sand coming down south. And so in the 30s, you have Santa Monica, essentially, that has robbed off uh, sand from Venice, which is a different municipality. It's, it's part of Los Angeles. So they go, uh, they go to court, it, it, it's a never-ending story, but in any case, all those beaches down south are being deprived of sand. And so that's when, during the war, actually, uh, they start uh, using uh, artificial nourishment as a technique to, um, to resort, to, to fix the erosion of beaches. And, mm -hmm. and to fix the erosion, because some people are literally losing their, their houses mm -hmm. because now they are so close to the water. So, so that's how it starts, actually. It starts with those operations. First, they truck sand because they don't have all the material during the war. And then eventually they pump sand from, uh, from the Santa Monica Harbor where there's all that sand that's accumulated. And then eventually they, they pump sand from the dunes at Ipier. And so there used to be beautiful dunes. Wow. We don't know, they're, they're gone now. But there used to be those beautiful dunes uh, where there's the... Um, um, uh, uh, the Iperian um, tr water treatment uh, plant, mm -hmm. and and they use that sand to replenish and large and, and enlarge three times you know what they used to be uh, the beaches. Wow, I I didn't know that, and that's wildly fascinating to think about, especially since dunes are such a important part of kind of protecting against major coastal erosion. And when you're talking, I think one of the funniest things I've found just talking to different people and also this like history of coastal erosion is what you were talking about where they did one project, they saw kind of the fallout of it and yet did it again and then did it again. So it's like you're dredging away one area, you're filling it in with sand from another. That area starts to erode, you fill it in with sand from another. And it's kind of funny how even in looking at history, you see these, these practitioners who aren't looking at historical accounts themselves, 
So I guess something that I'm fascinated in, which is, I would love to hear what you think about is, you know, what can a historical account tell us besides just giving that context that we don't think about in some ways, but you know, what can historical accounts tell us even now? Hmm. Well, I think it's just, you cannot plan the future of Mm -hmm. uh, the beaches of LA or any coastal landscape if you don't know the history of that landscape. And I think what struck me at the time and still strikes me, frankly, uh, is the fact that most people in LA do not know, uh, have completely forgotten the history of their beaches. And there's, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's just no public history message about the fact that, got, that those beaches are artificial. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but that they are also a threat because of climate change and sea level rise. Actually, when I went to Santa Barbara, uh, it was a while back now, I was doing my research as a PhD student. There is on the pier in Santa Barbara, there is a, a, a sort of a plaque or some sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, information uh, little uh, poster thingy where they explain what happened, the erosion and, and, uh, and, and the fact that they had to sort of rebuild the beach. So that I think is, is crucial is that's where history can help uh, in, in telling that history you can first of all understand better how to plan for the future, mm-hmm. but also you can teach people about the fact that beaches are not just there forever. Mm-hmm. That they are, you should not take beaches for granted. They have a history and they have a future that is more and more a threat. And understanding those processes not only mean understanding the ecology, like how uh, ecologically the the, the, the the beach system works, but also I think should include uh, um, um, an account of indeed the, the the people, the cultures that were uh, that thrived, that flourished mm-hmm. on those beaches. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, a lot of people these days are talking about Manhattan Beach mm-hmm. and the fact that there used to be a, a private uh, black beach at the time, and that those uh, there was a black couple called the Bruces, and they were basically their land was taken away by the from them by the city mm-hmm. using eminent domain now the city is trying to make amends and thinking through ways of <clears throat> you know uh f- remembering that and, and yeah more than that really making amends like i said and uh yeah i think the historian here can 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 take part of that and can try to bring together both the understanding of uh uh, environmental processes, but also the, the very human histories behind mm-hmm. them. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what I think uh, a historian, a historical ca- account can bring to, 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 to this, to these questions today. Yeah, that's something I, I really love and admire about your work is that, um, especially with something like LA, you do realize what a large part of the cultural imaginary the beaches are and it is something that's so tied to how people think about LA and your work kind of shows like actually these were artificially put there and so they might not last that long and I feel like that's a real way to connect people to the thing they care about which is like you know, this is a big part about how we think about this city 
and it might not last that long, especially because of coastal erosion. So yeah, I think one of my questions too is like, where do you see things going from here? Because that seems like a way to tie into those, you know, future plans that you were talking about. Well, I mean, the, the way I see things going, I mean, I end my book with those with the, the, the conclusion of um, a team of uh, marine scientists and engineers who ran, uh, they, they modeled shoreline response to climate change, and they, and they conclude that 31% to 67% of the Southern California beaches uh, may become completely eroded by 2100 wow. due to sea level rise. So that's that's the, 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 the very real threats. And up until now, the thing is that the LA beaches have been relatively protected from uh, major weather events, unlike <laughs> East Coast, for instance. Um, they've been relatively protected for various very complex reasons that I wouldn't be able to explain uh, from uh, sea level rise. <laughs> but this is, this is ending. What scientists are showing now is that this is, this is ending. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, what are what are beaches for? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, what are they for? Are they good because they protect buildings and houses? Yes, it's true they do protect them from you know winter storms and etc. Mm -hmm. uh, but but more importantly, they're important because they're first of all uh, in LA they represent a huge uh, public park that mm -hmm. is free that it allows people to cool off, especially which will be especially important. Uh, considering yeah. that heat waves are going to become more and more frequent and more and more intense mm -hmm. uh, as years go by. We've seen it with the COVID-19 uh, situation when beaches were closed in LA and Orange County. Uh, this this was taken very, very, uh, uh, you know, some people were really enraged in LA because mm -hmm. it's a place where you can escape the heat. And for people who are trapped in small apartments, in you know, in downtown and the, the downtown area, or or even deeper in in in, in the in the in inland, it's 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 really important to have that that escape. And then finally, it's also you know what are beaches for? Well, they're they're the repository of a uh, like I said, cult, uh, subcultures, uh, mm -hmm. uh, body cultures. Uh, they're the repository in in in, in LA of uh, you know. Of, anything from the surf culture to the bodybuilding culture, which uh, started uh, famously in Santa Monica at Muscle Beach. And then, uh, you know, that's where Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposedly, uh, uh, be became a star, you know? And so what do we lose when we lose beaches? We also lose all this. And this actually brings me back to something I wanted to mention. I, I just finished a, a book called oh. The Wall by John Lanchester. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a sci-fi dystopian novel about a Great Britain uh, post-climate um, change disaster. The sea level has risen so high that they've built a wall around the country mm. and there are no more beaches. And interestingly, the, the author makes a big deal out of this. He says that the young people have never seen a beach before and then some people are fascinating about it and they they ask the olds what it was like to go to a beach he writes what it felt like to lie on sand all day and what was it what was it like to build a sand castle and watch the water come in and see the sand cast castle fight off the water etc etc there's a beautiful really beautiful long um, um page about you know beaches and what, what it means uh, both on a sort of yeah sensorial level and 
Um, and yeah, it's it, it really made me think about, you know, what it is that we lose when we lose a beach. So I recommend the book, by the way. <laughs> I will definitely be reading it, yeah. Yeah, and it also kind of brings me back always to, you know, those connections with these spaces. Because when you're reading that, you know, I have my own associations with beaches when I hear that, and I'm sure you do as well. And I like to ask everyone, you know, is there a favorite beach or coastal area of yours, either in California or not California? Um, <laughs> Let me think. Um... There's a, there's a beach I love in Malibu uh, that was uh, acquired in the 1990s. Uh, its name is escaping me right now because I just had a baby and I'm, <laughs> my brain is literally. Uh, uh, it's the one with with a. It has all those seagulls all the time and it's oh. kind of like very uh, natural. Uh, let me try to. Oh gosh, it's one of those pocket beaches that we're acquired in the 1990s quite late very very difficult uh story of how they uh they, they oh matador here we go sorry like i said uh brain fog um uh, matador beach in malibu yeah it's one of my favorite both because it's beautiful it's uh i mean it's extremely wild whatever quote unquote uh you know you feel really like you're on the other side of the world like you're very far from la very from far from the city but also love it because of its history. Like I said, it's it's a, one of those late acquisition that was done really much later than most acquisitions were done in the 60s, 50s. And at a time where it was becoming very difficult to convince, to convince sorry, uh, beach homeowners to allow the states essentially to, to, to make beaches more accessible to the public. You know? uh, with the rise of the rights, uh, at least that's how historians talk about it in the, uh, from the 60s onwards, it became more and more difficult to make more beaches public in California. And so Matador Beach is one of like, I think, four very small pocket beaches that were acquired at the time and that people already had to, the, the people in, um, in, the, in the state and in, uh, had to really fight to, to acquire against private beach homeowners in Malibu. So they're very special for that reason. People should really try to appreciate them. Yes, that's that's been the nice thing in doing this podcast is getting, you know, lots of different areas that people feel connected to and often that are public. I mean, the nice thing about California, a lot of public beaches. And so it does make you appreciate the fact that we can go to these areas. Um, and yeah, thank you for coming on today. It's been honestly such a treat for me just to talk to you and hear about this. And I'm sure everyone listening will agree. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Many thanks to the Belinsky Foundation and the Belinsky Fellowship at Bodega Bay Marine Lab for providing the funding that made this series possible.